welcome back to my podcast. This is the first episode in the second series of Upfront with Jane. I'm so excited to introduce you to my guest today, all the way from the US of A, Mike Alden. Although I'm not a fan of the title entrepreneur, because it tends to be banded around and completely overused. However, Mike is certainly worthy of the title entrepreneur, as well as being a successful author. Mike developed a drive to succeed really early in life. He was that kid selling lemonade on the street corner, delivering newspapers and shoveling driveways. He's always wanted more in life. Having studied law and set up a range of businesses in different industries, he's late, one of his latest ventures is Blue Vars Marketing, which he established in 2009 to focus on working with products that can have a positive impact on people's lives. In this episode, we delve deep into where Mike takes inspiration from and what he looks for in potential employees, as well as being a good role model as a parent and learning to be happy. Let's get started. Hi, Mike. Thank you for joining me today. Really excited to uh, have you on board. Well, thanks for having me. I'm, uh, I'm excited to be here. I'm glad you reached out and uh, let's have some fun today. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so you're my first uh, overseas guest. So it's morning for you there, isn't it? It's afternoon here. So what are you 11 o'clock there? Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, man, I'm I'm now I'm even more honored to be your first uh, overseas <laughs> guest. You know, so uh, thanks for having me. I'm I'm fired up. Ah, oh, brilliant. So, um, to give a brief overview, you're an author. You're in marketing. You've been in law. You've done all kinds of things. But before I start to summarize, perhaps you could tell us a bit about your background and uh, your journey so far, Mike. Yeah, it's funny, you know, you say that stuff when I, you know, I tell people, you know, all the things that I've done, I think they might just think I'm just, you know, making shit up sometimes. But uh, yeah, so, you know, I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm like uh, one of those stories that you hear a lot, I think about, about entrepreneurs. I grew up really tough and there are a lot worse situations than mine, but I, you know, I got surrounded, grew up with surrounded by crime, drugs and violence. My, my mother's HIV positive. My stepfather died of AIDS. My father was addicted to Coke. My stepmother just a couple of years ago, just passed of an overdose. One of my other brothers died of an overdose. Another brother did time for distribution kid I grew up with in jail for life for murder um and uh you know and I wasn't really the best kid either um you know when I when I was in elementary school I used to stand in the separate line in elementary school middle school and high school because my lunch was subsidized by the state and so um you know that sticks with you you know and it stays with you uh and but at the same time you know um you know Damon John you know his book the power of broke you know it's the the, and I also think of, of the gift of poverty because when you grow up that way you're really don't have a lot of options. You either got to make it work, uh, you either become a criminal, uh, or or you try and fig- you try and figure it out. And so that that was um it was a beautiful thing. And I don't think I've ever want I don't think I would want to grow up any other way. So that's kind of like how I grew up. Uh, and uh, I guess sorry, I guess we can start there. <laughs> Absolutely, and that's so inspiring. And when I was reading um, about how you um, started looking at ways to make money, and you were trying to do it in the honest way, and actually it gave you that drive, that hunger. And it was it really interesting to see how you thought that was almost a gift. And and I wondered how how do you find that when with your upbringing of your own children, you probably feel hard to get the balance because you almost want to give them that same kind of hunger drive, but it's very difficult to replicate that. Yeah. You know, it's a great question. So I have a 15 year old daughter and um, you know, and you know, I've been in business now for, for 12 years on my own and, and, and been, a, been an attorney for 17. And so uh, you know, I've seen peaks and valleys and a lot of parents uh, look, you know, right. When you become a parent, there's, you know, you can read all the books, but there's no one really prepares you for it. Right. And so, uh, one of the things that I do with my daughter is I include her in all, in all the stuff. She, she, she knows about the chaos. Um, she, she hears it when I lose my cool, uh, on the phone or what have you, she knows that, you know, when we're financially 
strapped or whatever. And some parents would be like, well, I don't know that you should let your kids in on that stuff because it might give them, you know, kind of um, this, this, um, you know, uninvited stress. But at the same time, you know, I'm not going to, you know, make her, um, you know, uh, eat state cheese or, or stuff like that, you know, but I do do things like, for instance, just recently, and I talked about this in one of my posts. um, I still, to this day, you know, you and I, before we went live, um, you know, I bought my first bike, right. By collecting cans, uh, you know, in, in here in the States, I don't know if they do that in Australia, but in, in um, you collect cans and you would get five cents or 10 cents when I was a kid. And to this day, I still keep those cans. And so I keep them. And what I do with my daughter is we bring them to the redemption center. And there's two things she can do. Um, she can give them to a guy and it's a ba- it's just a big bag. And he estimates what it's worth right? Or you could sit there and you one by one, you can put them in. Uh, And and she's done both, but I just want her to see that. And I give her the money, but I just want her to kind of see that stuff. So uh, yeah, that, that, that gift of poverty, see as a young, and when we're young, right? Like we just don't know any better. We don't, I mean, the way I grew up, and like you said, you've read it in my books, I was pretty lucky also because I'm, I'm here in my hometown uh, where I grew up. My office is here. I built a house here. Um, it's one of the, you know, people when they grow up in a certain area, sometimes they don't want to leave, but it's a beautiful place and, and I don't ever want to leave. Um, but, you know, I was also grew up poor, but there was also uh, really kind of um, uber um, affluence here as well. Old money, you know, from, from. Uh, you know, from hundreds of years ago, you know, in fact, Beverly Hills in California was named from a guy from Beverly, Mass. So there's a lot of money around here as well. So I went to elementary school with rich kids, like really rich kids. Uh, But the kids that I saw were like the middle class kids, they had like a three bedroom ranch, and they might have had a pool. And I was like, those kids are rich, you know, so I was able to kind of see that stuff too. So growing up the way I did, uh, was difficult. Um, but also at the same time, it was, uh, it just, it, it, it teaches you to either figure it out, um, or not. And, and here's the thing too, is to this day, a lot of the kids that I grew up with, they were either dead in jail, like I mentioned earlier, uh, but the ones that are still around, um, there's a few of us that have made it, so to speak, and living a, a successful life and uh, however you want to define that, but there's a lot that are still stuck and they're not doing anything. Yeah, no, absolutely. Because they've almost had everything. And and I know how you identified that as a child, you think you need things, but until you actually need the basic things, you don't really know what it is to need things and then appreciate those things. So really interesting. So, so you managed to start um, from a young age um, growing an appetite for business, for making money, for to try and make ends meet, to help your family. And then uh, it was law that you first got into then, wasn't it? That was your first found <laughs> Well, you know, I mean, actually, again, it goes back to the childhood. I mean, my first, you hear this a lot, right? It's a common theme. I, you know, I had the paper routes when I was a kid. I um, I shoveled driveways when it snowed here uh, while other kids were building, you know, uh, snowmen and, and uh, snow forts. I, I was shoveling driveways. Uh, you know, I had a lemonade stand in the summer, but I did more than that. I had multiple lemonade stands in the summer. Uh, you know, when I was uh, 14 years old, I forged my birth certificate to get a job at Chuck E. Cheese's because I was poor. And, and, um, and so I did all those things because, yeah, I wanted to, to, to make money, you know, um, and they taught me a lot of things. I talk about that in my first book, Ask More, Get More. But, um, yeah. you know, the, the other thing, like you said, my first my first real thing was I had a business called Zeus Juice. They were freeze pops um, with alcohol in them. And it was kind of a unique idea. No one had done it in the United States. Uh, I was the first one to do it. And, uh, and we had a lot of fun. But I also ultimately declared bankruptcy as a result of it. And I was in law school. 
when this happened. And so I had to make a decision. Do I continue to, um, do I finish my career uh, in law school and become a lawyer or do I go and raise money? I opted with finishing law school, which was ultimately the right decision, but that was kind of my first business. And then my first career, um, like real career, I guess, uh, was a lawyer, but even right out of college, I sold cars right out of college, which I knew I wanted to go to law school. And, you know, I think, I think it's the same perception all over the world that car salesmen are just, you know, kind of bottom of the barrel. Their, their perception of them is they're, you know, they're just dirtbags. They're going to scam you all these other things. Um, but, and I didn't want to do that, but I started adding the paper. It was $425 a week plus commission. And I was like, cool. I was still poor, even though I graduated college, I took that job and it was the best thing I ever did because I learned how to sell. And, you know, and so many of us don't, we're always selling. We're, all of us are selling, but a lot of us don't realize that we're selling. And a lot of us don't want to sell because again, the perception that salespeople have, but you know, you're selling your kids when you, when you, when you're trying to get them up in the morning, you know, you're selling your spouse about why you want to go out to dinner or whatever. We're always selling. And so when I learned how to sell cars, I learned the basic principles of sales. And then I was able to kind of take that, you know, throughout my life. I went from there to a, um, I was a recruiter for, for a while while I was in law school. And then ultimately I went to law school uh, and then I became a lawyer. Um, but my sales background is really what got me the job as a lawyer because it's a super competitive uh, field, right? I went to, a, I went to a, a law school nights. So I worked and went to law school for four years. Most law schools, it's, it's three, right? Because I, I worked, it, had to, it, was an, it was an extra year. And so I didn't go to Harvard. I didn't go to BU. I didn't go to Yale. I went to Suffolk Law in Boston. It's a good school, but it's not Harvard, right? And so anybody who goes to Harvard pretty much guarantees they're going to make a couple hundred grand a year, like right out of law school. So I graduated from Suffolk Law, but really what got me the job was my ability to sell. Yeah. So. And, and that leads me on to your book. So this is how I um, first discovered you, if you like. I um, got your book, Ask More. Um, and I think generally there is people are tend to be afraid of asking. And I think sometimes if the answer is no, people just accept it's no, or I can't ask that. Um, but I think this is where you kind of say, well, why not just ask the question? What's the worst that can happen? Somebody is gonna say no, ask again. Um, and I guess that's been part of your character trait and something that you live by as well, hasn't it? Yeah, you know, it's, it's, um... It's a weird thing, you know, because, you know, the other books have come out since, and I'm not the first one to come up with the idea, like all the success books that are out there, all of them, uh, you know, they're all kind of, they're rooted in some of the older texts from, from the yeah. beginning of time. Right. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, it was just kind of my, um, take on, on this stuff and, and what, we're taught at a very young age that asking a lot of times is improper, right? It's gluttonous. It's, it's rude. You know, don't ask for that stuff. Yeah. And, and so that's ingrained in our brains where, where we, uh, we, we decide, well, man, we don't want to be rude. We don't want to be improper. We don't want to offend anybody. So therefore we don't ask. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it is, it is the most powerful thing that you can do in your life. And a lot of times too, it's not necessarily asking for the sale. It's not asking um, for, you know, to, 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 you know, to make more money or any of that stuff. It's also asking for help. Mm-hmm. Like I ask for help all the time. To yeah. this day, I ask for help. Like, hey, do you think you could help me out with this? You yeah. know? And, I think and- also as part of being good at sales as well, it's about asking questions and it's not just about, here's my products. Are you interested? This is my service. Actually asking questions. How are you? you know, engaging with a person and um, showing that you care, asking them questions equally and listening is, um, I would say, an important part of being good at sales as well. (laughs) 
Yeah, I mean, and that comes down to, again, some of the basics of, you know, you and I connected over LinkedIn, right? And so there are so many people on LinkedIn, I get hammered constantly, right? They're trying to just sell me stuff. They instantly try to sell me stuff. Yeah. And sometimes I respond to them, I'm like, dude, hey, listen, before you try and sell me some of your shit, uh, why don't we have a conversation? Let's build some rapport. So you're talking about building rapport. Like, mm -hmm. hey, you know, like, you know, do you have a puppy? You know, tell me about your kids. You know, what's your background? Like, let's let's learn about each other. In fact, I'm writing a seventh book called Connection Capital. Yeah. And that talks about, you know, truly building a connection with people. And that's one of the things that I've been great at as being able to build a connection. In fact, I'm launching a whole platform called Connection Capital, where I show people how to connect with others worldwide. If you want to connect with some of the most influential people in the world, there are certain ways you can do it. But it's also very, very difficult. And no, most people have no idea what to do. And so, um, you know, I've seen that one of the biggest challenges worldwide is not the wealth gap, right? It's not the, um, the credit gap, right? Because everybody can now fix their credit. It's the gap of access, especially for um, undercapitalized communities, especially for African-American, especially for women, uh, the Hispanic communities. Their issue is the lack of access. And yeah. so being able to ask for that access, right? And showing people how to do that is, I believe, is really going to bridge the gap and really take those people that are stuck in that low economic place and bring them to another level. Hmm. So you've obviously come from a background, as you've described, not privileged, and it's given you a head start. You believe that that's been an advantage, something that you're grateful for, but you still valued the education and put yourself through that. Um, on the flip side, you see a lot of people who go through education and don't make it. How important, what would you say the balance is between kind of education, but actually your character, your confidence? What would you say are the key skills to be successful in business? It's a great, it's a great question because of where we're at in the world today, right? There's a lot of people out there that are talking about, um, you know, the the educational system worldwide is broken, right? Um, and, you know, I think it is I don't think it's broken. Uh, I think it's disconnected. I feel like it's disjointed from reality. Yeah. Uh, and, and so I still believe there's value in the education, the higher educational system, right? From graduating high school, college, university, you would say over there. Uh, and then even higher than that, you know, if you want to get your law degree or if you want to become a doctor or, 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 or a CPA, I do believe that there's value there. And especially obviously within those professions. So you're, you're talking, you know, the law, you need, you know, you need to have that law degree, right? Uh, doctors, same thing. And then even like professionals in the, within the accounting space. But just that basic of like, let's go to college for four years. I, I think that there's value there. And I think you also, I, the difference now between years ago, you know, you can get this, um, you know, general studies degree, which is a complete waste when you're at a very, at a younger age. Now we need to decide as human beings, as 16, 17, 18 year olds, like, why are we going to college? Mm -hmm. Like, what are we like? What's our goal? And you know what? It might, like you said, it, you might end up doing something completely different. Mm -hmm. I majored in political science because I knew I wanted to go to law. I didn't know what marketing was. I got, I didn't even, I didn't even know there was such a thing as a marketing degree. And if I did, maybe I probably would have focused on that. I, I, I don't know, but might that's what I'm, what's that? <laughs> Might have put you off. You might have everything you might have learned might not have been relevant. <laughs> my life, yeah, my life might be completely different. And so I do believe that there's value in that. Um, and, you know, your educational uh, training of whatever that is, it may not ultimately be your profession, but that's okay because the things that you learn in school, discipline, being able to interact with people, right? Being able to essentially just do whatever you want. A lot of times you go off to college, you do whatever you want. No one's really watching you. So if you want to get good grades, it's on you. 
See, when I went to college, when I when I actually made it to college, I graduated high school with a 1.9 GPA, which is a C minus average. But I was class president, captain of the football team. I'm 46, so we don't need to talk about that stuff anymore. But when I got there, I uh, you know I, I I took it seriously. I was like, yeah. okay, I'm here. And my first semester, I had a 2.75, which is like a C plus. I was like, all right, cool. So now I know that I can at least hang. And then from there on, I worked hard. So when people were partying on the weekends, and look, I partied on the weekends, but I didn't party every day. On Saturday, I picked Friday or Saturday. I'd party on Friday, probably Saturday. Uh, you know, I would, you know, probably be a little hungover or whatever. And then Sunday, I, I was in the library all day long because I had to. I wasn't naturally smarter than everybody else. Mm -hmm. So my point of it, it's a long way to answer to kind of your question. I think that people should really um, think about what they want to do. And if they do know what they want to do, then yeah, I would go for that college education. All the other stuff that's available to us, we all know YouTube University and all that other stuff, it's still available to us. But most of us, they lack, we lack structure. We lack mm -hmm. discipline. So yeah. all the information is there, right? If you want to get on YouTube and learn about whatever it is you want to learn, it's there. Yeah. In fact, there are universities here in the United States, Stanford, Harvard, Yale, they offer free, they offer the same exact courses that you would pay like hundreds of thousands of dollars for, for free. People don't even know this. And so, but, but they, but they also know that nobody's going to do it. So, yeah. so I think that, you know, if you, if you have an idea of what you want to do, yeah, I would go definitely go to college, um, but try and figure out what you want to do so that when you get out, you have a plan. And how important do you think it is? And would you encourage sort of your own children or young people to do the jobs like for me I had a job working as a waitress and I think that for me was one of the best things I ever did it learned me taught me to think on my feet I had to take orders I had to learn how to interact with people how to get the right balance um, and I think for me when as I'm looking to employ people in our team if people have had those jobs bar skills waitressing that for me would stand out quite highly because I think if you can survive in that environment it's, it's hard work and it shows that your commitment that you've not just gone straight for the job in marketing or something glamorous. You've, you've proved that you can work before that. I, I agree with that a thousand percent. When I think about that, I, I believe being a waiter or a waitress is one of the most difficult jobs there is Absolutely. because, because again, like you said, there's all these things going on. Right. And, and sometimes uh, you can't control. Like, so mm -hmm. if the kitchen fucks something up, right. Mm -hmm. They don't, they don't blame the chef. They blame you. Right. Yeah. So, 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 so you need to figure out how do I fix this? Right. How do I how do I um, uh, how do I minimize it from happening? Like, what can I do in the future so that this doesn't happen to me again? Right. But there's always going to be that stuff. So you do have to think on your feet. You do have to figure things out. And then also you're selling. Yeah, right? absolutely. So, so what, selling all the time. Yeah. So when you, so, so when you first bring them that menu, right here, like here is the specials, right? Hey, would you like a drink? Right. Mm -hmm. So, right. So that's selling right then and there. And if you, and if you don't do that every single time, you're going to make less money. So I owned a restaurant for a while and that was one of the things we had a system, you know, every single time we sold beer and wine. Right. And, uh, and we also, we had uh, milkshakes, right. For kids. Every single time there was a kid there, we offered a milkshake. Every single time we offered beer and wine. Sometimes people are going to say no, but if you don't offer yeah. it, you yeah. don't know what's going to happen. And then at the end, right. What's at the end. Then it's like, and, and by the way, at the end, it's not, um, uh, it's like, uh, at, at the end, it's not, uh, hey, uh, we, we have dessert, you want to see it? No, it's, hey, you know what, we have this amazing dessert, we, we have this cake, everybody loves it, you should just just check it, I'm going to show it to you, you should check it out if you want to share it with your family, right, I'm telling you, it's going to be the best cake you're ever going to have. Yeah, people are going to take the cake, even if they don't eat cake. 
You've sold it to me. (laughs) Right. And and you, and you just, and you just made more money. Yeah. And so, and the other thing too, about, you know, having employing, having employed waitresses and waiters, a lot of times they also, they don't feel good about themselves because they feel like, Oh, I'm a waiter. I'm a waitress. Mm -hmm. No, fuck that. Like that's the best job ever. If you're a, if you're a waiter or a waitress, like in Boston, New York city, um, LA, some of these guys are making six figures. Absolutely, I, I was loaded when I was waitress. <laughs> yeah, and and because 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 you know they're they're you know they're hustling, and yeah. it's a great it's a great profession, but it's also hard. <laughs> it's hard, but it gives you great skills, confidence, um, because you do have to take control of situations, and sometimes the customer's not always right, and it's how you deal with it. Um, yeah, no, totally agree. So I couldn't go without mentioning the last kind of 12, 18 months and the whole COVID and the impact on everything. Um, what are your thoughts then? Obviously, people are starting here in the UK, getting back into offices um, working from home is still a big part of business life, but a lot of people are getting back into offices. I think one of my concerns is being in the creative industry, the impact that has on um creativity, working together, people's mental health, the separation between work-life balance, and also as graduates are coming into the industry and they're, you know, it's all about soaking up the environment, being part of it. So for me, the office will never die, but I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on it, what you think the future is. Hold on, before I get to that question, Ooh. I said Australia, because you have, to me, it sounds like an Australian accent. So hold okay. on. <laughs> so you're in the UK, we know this, but you, but and I know that the, sometimes people confuse the accent. I do it all the time. But you're, but you're not Australian, no? No, no. Man, I screw this up. I'm embarrassed. You know, this is live. This is happening live. I'm embarrassed, but that's okay. Uh, so we're, <laughs> hey, we're close. We're closer than I thought. You know, so, uh, yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah. I mean, look, it's, I mean, like it's like stating the obvious, right? Uh, we all had a difficult time. When you talk about mental health, I've been, you know, in my first book, Ask More, Get More, that you read, I talked about mental health there. I've been talking about mental health for a long time because it, uh, you look, I was in therapy when I was a kid because I was an angry kid and I didn't really know it. You know, um, I've been in therapy pretty much throughout my whole life. Um, I'm a practitioner of transcendental meditation. I do a lot of things. I work out all the time. I don't, I'm probably not in the best shape in, in, of, of my life right now, but, but I still, I mean, I was at the gym this morning. I still do all that stuff to try and, you know, to work on my own mental health. And so now it's in the forefront because people are really, really struggling. Um, forget about the financial part. We're really struggling mentally, you know? And so now we're all talking about it, which is a beautiful thing. And it becomes, it's less of a stigma uh, worldwide, right? Like, okay, yeah, this is a real thing. And I think that, you know, you know, when we talk about happiness, like I own a brand here in the United States, it's called Wicked Happy, right? And I'll just tell you a quick story about it. I spoke at an event called Build Your Empire. And, and at this event, there are all these young kids pulling up in Rolls, Bentleys, Ferraris, young kids, right? This is like, I don't know, five years ago. And my businesses have gone up and down. And at one point I had almost 200 employees and we're doing 50 million a year in revenue. And I was at this event and, and uh, I was just tired of my existing business. There's just all these problems with it. And I came back to my room and I just said, man, I just, I just want to be wicked happy from, we're from Boston. We say wicked, you know, and, and, and uh, my girlfriend said, she goes, I think that that's a t-shirt. Cause there are a lot of t-shirt guys there. And uh, the guy that was working for me is also a lawyer. He says, I think that's a brand. And so when I think about happiness, right, we all talk about it and we all see the memes about it. And we all see the uber successful people like, you know, Dean Graziosi, who's been on my podcast. Now Grant Cardone's talking about it. And all these other people are talking about happiness, but 
you know, I think if you really start to think about what makes you happy and try to find that earlier rather than later, I think your life is going to be a much better life. And so look, when I wake up in the morning, this is an absurd thing. I say this a lot, the way I grew up. Okay. So I built a house in a private, private neighborhood in the town that I grew up in. Okay. Uh, and when I wake up in the morning above the fireplace, again, this sounds like so pompous <laughs> above the fireplace in my bedroom is an original painting from the artist Romero Brito. And it's of the word happy, right? And I bought that painting. I don't even know what it costs. It's probably stupid money. But I bought that painting so that it's one of the first things that I look at in the morning to remind myself. And you know what? I'm not always happy. We're not, we're, yeah. by the way, genetically, we're not designed to be happy. Just so everyone's clear, we're not designed to be happy. We're designed to survive, which is yeah. not a happiness thing. So, but we have to work at it. And so whatever it is you need to do, personally, whatever your challenges are, I would, I would spend as much time as you possibly can on working on your own, your, your own personal happiness, not your spouse, not your kids, not yeah. your, not your, not your parents, not your yeah. friends, you first. Yeah. And I think that, yeah, sort of brings me back to, I think that is part of being together. People are designed to be together, communicate together. So yeah. What are your thoughts then on the office versus homeworking? I mean, are you guys back in the office or... You know, what's funny is, um, so pre-COVID, uh, so I have a lot of uh, sales agents. And so pre-COVID, um, our phone system is, is we can, it can be, it can be anywhere in the world. So uh, you, we have, we have people in, in, we actually have uh, uh, offices in the UK, in, um, uh, in Canada. And we have some, uh, we have some uh, people that we work with in the Philippines that are actually our, um, I won't call them employees, but they work directly for us. And so um, it's a beautiful thing you know, to have that technology. So um I honestly don't care, to be honest with you. I, I, I was worried about being able to, I guess, uh, manage people and things like that. Yeah. Um, but look, I, um, I made a sale yesterday to a, to a corporate client. I've never done that before on a Zoom call yesterday. It was weird. Like I was like, whoa, like this is, you know, we can do this. So with chaos become, comes opportunity, right? Absolutely. And so there are so many people that are, that are capitalizing on this. So many people haven't. You know, look, when you think about the restaurant business, like my restaurant is no longer, but we, we went under before, or we closed it, we didn't go under, but we closed it before um, COVID. <clears throat> There's reasons why certain restaurants are survived and others mm -hmm. didn't. And the biggest reason is because the ones that survived adapted. Yeah. You know, high-end restaurants, they're types of restaurants that are like, you know, five-star rated and they have Michelin chefs. I think that's the term Michelin. I think that's what they're called, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, so, so, so th those ones would never do takeout. They would never do delivery, but guess what? The ones that did are still here. So, so it, it's about, it's about adapting. It's about surviving and, and, and ultimately again, like bring it full circle um, happiness. Yeah. And I think it has brought opportunity. I think um, it's been great in some respects where you think you're traveling all over the country for meetings that don't go anywhere because you don't want to be rude. And you don't want to say, let's do it over video. Let's do it like this. Whereas now that's totally acceptable. So you can get to the point very quickly. If we're not right for you, you're not right for us. Let's make that decision. Let's not waste a day um traveling on the road etc to to discover that so i think there are it makes us more efficient plain and yeah. simple yeah you know like so i mean so some of my top guys like so so uh a lawyer that works for me he he lives like an hour away and my cio same thing he lives like an hour and a half away so pre covid i was like guys you don't need to be in the office yeah. <laughs> you know what i mean like so so like like save yourself some money mm -hmm. save yourself some stress and just by doing that, 
it's almost like you got a raise because now you don't have to drive, right? And we already we're we're all we're all already connected. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, you know, it's look, there's we we're yearning for that personal touch. We're all yearning for the be able to reach out and give somebody a hug and, and all that other stuff, which is which is a beautiful thing. But like you said, there's new opportunities now, and um, and it does allow people to connect world. You and I now, you who knows? Like I know you read my book before this, but maybe this wouldn't have happened. Uh, yeah, really? If- yeah. Yeah. No, I think there's definitely opportunities from it. So what would be your having, I feel like you've um, had more years in your life than most people with everything that you've managed to cram in. What would be your advice to budding entrepreneurs or people who are about to set up a business? How would you, what would be your takeaways? What would be through your experiences and what you've learned? Yeah. You know, um, my grandfather, uh, who's no longer with us in the fifties had a business uh, where he sold light bulbs door to door COD cash on demand, right? And he had five call centers. I didn't know this by the way until years later. Right? So he had five call centers. It was in uh, in the tri-state area, New York, New Jersey. Uh, and <laughs> what's that? It's in your blood, then. The yeah, well, I didn't I didn't, re- I didn't realize that, right? But so, yeah. and he had a record store. Uh, he sold instruments. He had all this other stuff, right? And so, so we call that entrepreneurship, right? He was an entrepreneur um, back then it was looked at as like, ah, you know, he's kind of like a dreamer. Uh, Maybe he's a bit of a shyster. Um, You know, he's, you know, he's taking too much risk. Right. And so it was really looked down upon. Now being an entrepreneur is the sexy word, right? Oh, I'm an entrepreneur. Everybody's a fucking entrepreneur. Everybody's a CEO. That's bullshit. You're not. Entrepreneurship isn't for everybody, but I think, you know, now that everyone's using this term, this intrapreneur, right? So they're saying they're teaching their employees how to have an entrepreneurial spirit, right? I think that that is important. And I think that to, to be able to have that and to think like, I tell people, look, I want you to think like and care like you own the business, yeah. And Gary Vee says, no, that's never going to happen. No one's ever going to care as much as you. That's true. And he's like, don't even, and I love Gary Vee, by the way, but he's like, don't even, don't even try and teach people that. I, I, I disagree with that. I think if you can teach people how to be an entrepreneur, an intrapreneur, they call them, I yeah. think your business is going to be more successful. So if you're starting a business and you want to start a business, I just need to, need you to understand. No one says this stuff. They say, oh, go for a call and look, it's hard. And we talk about mental health and we talk about the struggle and we talk about the grind and all this other stuff. You know, someone once said to me, my last overnight success took 10 years. I am, I've been in business now for 12 years and I'm still struggling. And so, and, and, and I struggle every day when we get off this, uh, podcast, I'm going to be getting on the phones. I have notes here for somebody that I'm going to call that I am going to personally sell. That's what it's like being an entrepreneur. You're going to get kicked. You're going to get made fun of. You're going to be dealing with obstacles that you've never dealt with before, but you need to figure it out if that's what you want to do. It's also a beautiful thing too. If you want to be an entrepreneur, if you want to do what you want, when you want, and you don't want to answer to anybody, then yeah, you might want to be an entrepreneur. But I'll say this to people as well. If you have a job, if you have a job that's paying your bills, that's that's feeding your family, you can do both. Everybody talks about the side hustle. You can do both. And then eventually, when your business can support your lifestyle and it's done it for about six months or so, then you can make the decision to ultimately jump. So if you're going to do it, I would say keep your day job, work on it, you know, as you can, and then eventually you can, you know, you can jump and go and go all in. I, I believe in going all in when it's when it's when the timing is right <laughs> yeah i agree and it's really interesting that you say that because i think a lot of the perception is 
people did make it overnight they've had this amazing idea and a lot of the success stories you do so you think oh I could have come up with that I could have had that idea how they made it and I've not and actually behind every success story there's thousands of businesses that haven't made it that haven't got to that point um, and it certainly is up and down and continues to be so but I think once you've um, had your own business once you've worked for yourself it's very difficult to then go back to working for somebody else you almost become unemployable <laughs> by anybody else yeah I mean absolutely you know it's funny like you know so I'm a lawyer and and I keep my license active um, you know, and there are times I'm like, oh man, shit, should I have just practiced law mm. or should I have gone and worked at a law firm or what have you? Um, you know, cause I could probably actually make a lot more money. Uh, I don't know if I make a lot more money, but I could probably make pretty consistent money. So that's the thing too, about entrepreneurship, right? Is, um, look, you know, there, there are years when I've made millions. There's also years when I've lost millions. Yeah. And when you fucking lose millions, when you talk about mental health, it's the worst feeling in the world. You read my book, Ask More, Get More. Like I'll just tell the story because I haven't told it in a while. There, were, I, I used to, um, I would uh, wake up at 4.30 in the morning, Eastern Standard Time uh, and check my bank account uh, on my iPhone in my basement because I was sleeping on the couch in the basement with my dog because my marriage was essentially over. Uh, and I would check my checking account every morning to make sure that the money was there because it was transferring in from another bank uh, in California because I had a guy financing um, our, our business, right? And there was one morning where I woke up and the bank account was negative $143,000. Like that's the number. Like I, 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 I'll never forget seeing that. And it was a payroll week and I didn't have the money. I didn't have the money and I had almost 200 employees. And so I'm still here. That was, you know, yeah. 11, I was, that was 11 years ago. Uh, and it was um, the worst thing you could imagine. Um, but I've been through even kind of worse stuff than that since then. Yeah. Um, and, and it's like, wait, what could be worse than that? Oh, well, I don't know. Having your bank accounts frozen and having someone embezzle money from you, like shit just happens. And so as an entrepreneur, as the CEO of, of you enterprises, which I talk about now, more, get more. I haven't looked at that book in a while, but I remember it because I wrote it. Um, uh, so when, as the CEO of you enterprises, you have to figure this stuff out. No one else is going to do it for you. That's the hardest thing you have. You think you have help kind of, but at the end of the day, if the shit hits the fan and, 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 you know, you're out of money or whatever, you have to figure it out. That's the hardest part about being an entrepreneur. But here's the best part is you can figure it out. You just, you just need to want to. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think, like you said, don't be afraid to ask for help and get people on board. You know, they might not necessarily be in your business. It might be an external person, somebody who's been through a similar journey, but ask for help. You know, I think sometimes you can be too close to it yourself, can't you? And somebody externally can look at it and sort of say, you're focusing too close. We need to look at a higher level here and see where you're going and how we can get you out of this and on the right track, really. And that's where mentors come in too, right? Yeah. You know, it's like, I've had, um, you know, when I was, when I, when I, when I became a lawyer, right. So they have like a buddy system here in mass, right. Uh, you can call up the bar association and ask for like a, a buddy or whatever, or whatever. But I did that and they didn't seem like they really wanted to be my buddy. So, um, so when I was practicing, I got really lucky. I was in, I was working in-house at a, at a firm, uh, excuse me, at a company and they had outside counsel and I called the guy up. I don't, I didn't know him from a hole in the wall. I said, look, I said, my name is Mike. Uh, I'm in-house counsel for this company now. And um, I have no idea what I'm doing. Uh, so I now need you to be, uh, to be my buddy and, and help me and show me the way. Uh, and he, he, he was a little taken back. He's a, he went to Harvard. He's a partner of this big firm. And he was like, okay, 
you know, and he did. And now, by the way, we're like really great friends. And yeah. I've had mentors throughout the years that have that have told me the things that I don't want to hear. Like behind mm-hmm. me, above above my head, there's a painting uh, from an artist. His name is Blake Emery. And and um, I backed, I did the crazy thing that entrepreneurs do. I backed an artist and I was like, I'm going to make him famous because I love his art and the whole thing. And I, I launched a vodka called Emery Vodka. I did all these things. And I remember calling my mentor and telling him this stuff. And he said, Mike, how many bottles of the vodka do you have? I said, I don't know. I think we have like 10,000 that are filled and we have like 60,000 total bottles. In fact, I'm looking at right. So like, you know, there's, there's one of the bottles right there. Um, And it's it's beautiful. We won all sorts of rewards and everything. And um, he said, you have 10,000 filled. And I said, yeah, he goes, could you sell them? I go, well, that's the plan. We're going to sell. He goes, can you sell them all like right now? I'm like, ah, probably not. He goes, find a way to just sell them all and get out the art, get out. He's like, it's too speculative. You're, you're, you're going to get killed. And I was like, man, dude, like what? Like I'm an entrepreneur. Like we're going to figure this thing out. We're going to crush it. This vodka is going to be the fucking biggest thing ever. And he was right. I ended up throwing away probably 30,000 of these bottles. They weren't filled um, because, because I couldn't pay for the storage fees anymore. And the artist thing, it was fun. And I, and I got him an art Basel, which is the biggest art show in the world. And we did some kind of cool things and we sold art and we did some stuff, but ultimately it just didn't work. So having a mentor that can, that that's willing to tell you the things you don't want to hear is it's worth gold, man. Absolutely. And I think sometimes naturally, if that's your instinct, that's in you to be an entrepreneur, it's hard to almost sometimes keep yourself on the plan with one thing because you're always looking at different ideas and I think sometimes you need that external person to say let's not lose track of what's working here um, and trying to do too many I think you can go off in too many directions sometimes can't you and uh, you've only got so much resource that you can put into uh, shiny object syndrome we call that right yeah and and, and, uh, I um I've been infected with it and I don't know that I'm ever going to be cured from it. And so, yeah, yeah, you know, it's like, Hey, you know, it's funny. Like I told you, like, so I, 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 I'm a practitioner of transcendental meditation and I I talk, I think I talk about that and ask more. I don't know if I talk about it and ask more or 5% more, but it changed my life. Right. It's a great thing. And, you know, I would suggest it for anybody. Uh, you can go to tm.org. I have nothing to do with it, but uh, it's an amazing, it's an amazing way to meditate. But the, one of the things that they teach you, they say, look, you're going to meditate. You do it 20 minutes twice a day. And it's, it's a beautiful thing. It's like, it's, you know, once you start getting into getting into it, it's hard to just not want to do it. But one of the things they teach you in the class is like, you're going to have these ideas and you're going to have all these thoughts. And when you're done, don't act on them. <laughs> <laughs> just sleep right on it. Write them down, think about it, um, because it's probably not the best idea. It might be, but let's just, let's slow it down a little bit. And it happens to me all the time. I'll be like, oh my God, like I just had the best idea ever. And like, here we go. And then, you know, um, and then, you know, I, I'm telling you, like I, I've acted on it too many times, but yes, yeah, absolutely. Well, you, um, I, I always find that good salespeople are quite easy to be sold to. Do you buy a lot of stuff as well? Are you oh, I'm the worst. Yeah. I'm the worst. Yeah. Like it's, yeah. When I sold cars and one of the managers kind of taught us that, yeah, it's like, we're the easiest people to be. Sold. Absolutely. It works both ways. <laughs> and sometimes we're the worst negotiators too, because yeah. like, because we know what it's like to be a salesperson. Um, in fact, uh, mm, uh, my mother-in-law just got a car and, um, and I, it was a referral of, of a friend of mine who still sold cars and we went to the dealership and, um, and then it turns out, well, I knew this anyway, but my neighbor, who lives across the street from me? Uh, he's the he's the general sales manager of all of the dealerships. It's a publicly traded car dealership. They're massive, right? And he's the head. My neighbor, the guy who lives across the street. I didn't drop his name. I didn't do anything. And I just subtly mentioned it at the end. 
And she goes, wait, John's your, John's your neighbor. And I go, yeah, he lives right across the street. I know his kids, whatever his kids get it. She's like, Oh, okay. Well, um, well, well, I'm going to make sure we look at the numbers again. So in my head, I was like, was she fucking me? Was she screwing me? I already, I already had a referral, you know? Um, but I just, I just assumed that he was going to, that they were going to take care of me at the same time. I also know that they need to make money. So I was like, all right, they're going to take care of me. Maybe they make a couple grand on the car. Maybe they make a grand, whatever. I get it. People need to make money. Um, but sometimes again, as salespeople, we just, ah, whatever, we just move forward. I tell you, I, um, I took a class, um, by uh man, what was his name? Uh, I forget his I forget his name. I forget what it was. It was a training course. Um, it was a long time ago. But one of the things that they taught at the end of the at the end of the course, which was, uh, they said the next thing you buy, I don't care what it is. I don't care if you're going to buy toilet paper. You have to negotiate it, right? Mm-hmm. And so um, we went out to dinner, uh, and I was I was a, I was a lawyer at the time, and uh, to like Morton's. I don't know if they have Morton's over there. I'm guessing they do. Yeah, it's a high end steakhouse, right? And the dinner was like five grand or something insane like that. And so the 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 um, the owner of the company, my boss, uh, wasn't really. He was kind of a, more of an introvert. He's definitely not the type of. He's not a sales guy. He just he was a partner in this whole deal, so he was more the money guy. <laughs> and so we said, hey, look, man. You got to negotiate the bill at a high-end steakhouse, and he was so embarrassed. Got the mail. Got the bill, and you, as a waitress, you'd be like, "What?" You know. And so he did. They basically told him the pound sand, but at least he asked. I the next thing I bought, no joke, was actually a toilet roll dispenser at a um, at a discount store uh, called Marshalls. I don't know if they have them over there called Marshalls. You buy like it's like a housewares. They have clothes there, housewares, and it was twelve dollars. Okay. This is, this is, I I want people to listen to this story because actually in other countries, not the UK, but more of like in the Caribbean and and, and, in South America, they just negotiate. And actually in the Middle East, they negotiate like crazy India as well. Um, And so uh, I bought this, it was $12. And I said, actually I paid $12 for it. It was $16. And uh, I got to the register and uh, I said, you know, uh, you know, is there, is there anything else you can do for me? Right. I talk about that and ask more, get more. Mm-hmm. Is there, is there, is there, maybe you can work on the price for me. Now there's just a clerk who's getting paid minimum wage. She looks at me like I have 50 heads. Yeah. And my wife at the time, she looks at me like I'm insane. She's like, what are you doing? You know, like, and, and, and so I said, well, this is a chest of Karras, by the way, is the name of the course Karras. So that was, that, that was what I had to do. It was like a part of like the homework, you know? manager comes over and uh, he's staring at me like I'm crazy. Well, sure enough, you know, they had a code where they could just scan it and they gave me a discount and I ended up paying $12 for it. That's how people get rich. Mm. That's how people get rich. Because I I believe in, I think, yes, it's it's good to be confident and negotiate when needed. But generally in business, um, I would, if we're on the side where we're the client and we're looking for somebody to partner with us, like a supplier, we would obviously look at different quotes, but we'd always be looking at the value rather than just the cost. And I think when we found somebody that we want to work with, I really do try not to be a negotiator because I always think they are making money. They're a business. They're there to make money. If I screw them down on price and try and negotiate, am I going to be their favorite client? Am I going to get as good service? Or next time they come to quote to me, are they going to just add on 10% because they know that I'm going to knock them down and equally we very much, if we quoted for something, we quote fairly. And if a client says, is there anything you can do on the price? We tend to say no, because I think you just open up um, a whole kind of devalue of your services. But what if they said yes though, right? So so if they said yes, 
you just saved some money, right? And so there's yeah. nothing there's nothing wrong with that. And again, in, in, in a lot of other countries, they it's just a part of their culture. Totally, totally, yeah. yeah. And, I think, I and there's nothing wrong, there's nothing, I, I get what you're saying. Like, I'm, I'm like, it makes total sense. Um, and, you know, again, a lot of times, again, I'm just being honest, a lot of times I don't negotiate stuff. Yes. For yeah. that exact reason. Like, all right, cool. The price makes sense. Um, you know, this, you know, I, look, I just negotiated um, something uh, and it, it was, how do I describe it? Um, uh, you know, the price was already super low. It totally worked for us. We're like super excited to get it at this discounted price. But they, um, when they quoted us the, the discounted price, they then said it was a little bit higher after and so yeah. I said, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. You said that it was this price. Both prices already worked for us. Yeah. And she was like, yeah, but, but that's not, mean- that's not good. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so I said, well, so, well, hold on. This is, this is kind of our expectations. And then I said, because we do like, we don't want it to be a zero sum game. We do want it to have a mutually yeah. beneficial thing. So yeah. I said, look on this first deal, cause hopefully we're going to do a bunch more. Let's do it at that price that I thought it was going to be. And then if you're telling me if it was a mistake or whatever, okay, cool. The next one, because there'll be a next one, then we'll do that other price. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. And that makes sense. Brilliant. Well, no, thank you. It's been absolutely fascinating speaking to you. I feel like we've covered absolutely loads. And um, yeah, so what's the rest of the day then for you? Back to it. Back in the, are you in the yeah, office like, today? Yeah, so this is our, um, so this is a, uh, so I'm in my studio. Uh, so behind me, uh, is an actual television studio. Uh, and this is a, this was, uh, a voiceover room before like podcast for like a thing. So I've been doing my podcast for six years now. And so we built this whole space out and we're like, Hey, we should start doing a podcast. And in fact, the mentor of mine told me to do it. So, uh, yeah, but I'm actually, I'm going to be banging out phone calls, uh, sales calls uh, for one of our businesses that we're doing because, uh, it's, it's a new business and I need to make sure that it works. So I'm going to do it myself. Yeah. Uh, and that, and that's a part of like, you know, being an entrepreneur too. Also, you know, my last book, Blueprint to Business, you know, it's it's about doing the things that most people won't. That's what makes people successful. So yeah. that, that's what I'll be doing uh, well, as soon as we're done. Make sure you negotiate yourself some good deals. <laughs> <laughs> I will, absolutely. Oh, but absolutely pleasure to be joined by you. And thanks so much. Um, it's been fascinating, enlightening, and very um, inspirational. Thank you, Mike, for joining me. Thanks for having me.